Throughout history, mankind has shown a tendency to add man's wisdom to God's word. You certainly see that in the New Testament in Jesus' day. Uh, how the Jews of Jesus' day, for the most part, uh, had added their own traditions to the Word of God. Uh, Those who were seen as the teachers of the Word of God were more teachers of the tradition uh, than they were of actually the Word of God. And and Jesus confronts uh, the teachers of His day uh, on that very thing uh, that they were treating uh, as God's word, the very traditions of man. And in doing so, they were ignoring the true word of God. Uh, they were adding man's wisdom to God's word. They thought they could protect the commandments of God. They could protect obedience to God's law by adding their own laws. And that just became man's wisdom added to God's word, which actually denigrated God's word. If you look in church history, uh, you see this very thing with the Roman Catholic Church of adding man's wisdom to God's word. That's why there was a Protestant Reformation. Uh, The Reformers recognized that the Roman Catholic Church had added the traditions of the church, uh, the teachings of man, to the word of God. The Reformers recognized that as that happened, the true gospel was distorted and lost. It was adding man's wisdom to God's word. And when we come to 1 Corinthians, we see that the same thing was happening in Corinth. That in Corinth, new believers were having a tendency to add man's wisdom to God's word. Paul is writing in the opening chapters of 1 Corinthians to counteract the elevation of man's wisdom. It was problematic for multiple reasons, including the fact that it led to divisions and quarrels among the Corinthians. Paul speaks of that in chapter 1, beginning at verse 10. Adding man's wisdom to God's word is always disastrous. What we need in order to avoid this error is a high view of God's revelation. And this is what Paul sought to form in us as he wrote our text under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. He seeks to form in believers a high view of God's revelation. I'm going to read to us in chapter 2, verses 6 through 11. If you are able, please stand in honor of the word of God. Verse 6. Yet among the mature we do impart wisdom, although it is not a wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are doomed to pass away. But we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages for our glory. None of the rulers of this age understood this, for if they had they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written, what no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him. These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except the Spirit of that person which is in him? So also... No one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. This is God's holy word. Please be seated. Paul is writing to people who all their lives have elevated the world's wisdom. Corinth had their philosophers and they delighted in their philosophers. All their lives, the Corinthians have elevated the world's wisdom. And Paul is very concerned about the place that these Corinthian believers continue to give uh, to the wisdom of man now that they are Christians. And this is why ever since chapter 1, verse 17, Paul has been contrasting the gospel with the wisdom of the world. Paul has been explaining why the two are not to be mixed. The wisdom of man, or you could say the wisdom of the world, 
and the wisdom of God. Look back to chapter 1, verse 17. Chapter 1, verse 17. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, and not with words of eloquent wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. Paul says in verse 17, the gospel is not to be preached with words of eloquent wisdom. In other words, the gospel is not to be preached with worldly wisdom. Go down to verse 19. 19. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? Paul is saying here that God has purposed to show the emptiness and the foolishness of the world's wisdom. Verse 21, For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. Saying that God has so designed things that the world will never come to know Him through its wisdom. Go down to verse 26. 26, consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God shows what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God shows what is weak in the world to shame the strong. Saying that God has purpose to shame those who are wise in the eyes of the world. Go down to chapter 2, verse 1. Chapter 2, verse 1. And, when, and I, when I came to you, brothers did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus crucified. Paul says here that he purposefully did not preach with worldly wisdom. And then verse 4, verse 4, And my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Paul is saying the purpose behind both his message, which was not mixed with the wisdom of the world, and the purpose behind his method, a method in which he did not utilize the wisdom of the world, the purpose behind both is that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of man, but your faith would rest in the power of God. And now, when we come to our text, Paul wants to make clear that he's not against true wisdom. You might get the wrong impression in in hearing how he has spoken against uh, the, the wisdom of the world. You might think that he's against wisdom across the board. No, he's not. He wants to make clear he's not against true wisdom. He actually proclaims the highest wisdom, the wisdom of God, and he wants to teach us how the wisdom of God is and is not known. That's very important. How the wisdom of God is and is not known. The first half of our text uh, speaks of how the wisdom of God is not humanly discovered. And the second half of our text speaks of how the wisdom of God is divinely revealed by the Spirit of God. First of all, let's look at the first half where we see the wisdom of God is not humanly discovered. Take a close look at the beginning of verse 6. Yet among the mature we do impart wisdom. Now now here, the mature stand in contrast to the people that are mentioned in chapter 1 verse 18 who are perishing. Those who are perishing reject the word of the cross as folly. Yet now Paul says in verse 6 that he and the other apostles impart wisdom to the mature. Here the mature is those who have a perfect standing with God. The mature are the saints. The mature are true believers. The verb form of this word that's translated mature is similarly used of all believers in Hebrews chapter 10 verse 14, which says, For by a single offering Christ has perfected 
for all time those who are being sanctified. Christ has perfected all who are being sanctified. He has perfected our position before God, our standing with God through the work at the cross. That's the sense in which a very closely related word, mature, is used here in verse 6. Yet among the mature. He's not talking about one class of Christians. He's referring to all Christians as the mature. In contrast to those who are perishing and who see the gospel as foolishness. Paul says in our text in verse 6, Yet among the mature we do impart wisdom. Although it is not a wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are doomed to pass away. He makes very clear that the wisdom that he imparts is not wisdom of this present world. It's not the wisdom of the rulers of this present world. The the rulers of this world are those whom the world exalts. Those whom the world follows. Paul says the rulers of this age are doomed to pass away. That is, in God's design, they're doomed to pass away. God has purpose that they will pass away. Remember God's purpose in choosing people whom the world sees as foolish and lowly, as stated back in chapter 1, verse 27 and 28. Look at chapter 1, verse 27. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not to bring to nothing things that are. God has purpose to bring the rulers of this age, individuals whom the world exalts, God has purpose to bring the rulers of this age to nothing. Now, the Corinthians were exalting the wisdom of this age. The Corinthians were exalting the wisdom of the rulers of this age. Age. And Paul tells them that this wisdom is not the wisdom he imparts. Now, sadly, there are today many pastors and preachers who are imparting the wisdom of this age. It can take many, the wisdom of this age can take many forms, including psychology and sociology and other forms. Uh, pastors and preachers today may impart the wisdom of this age in their preaching or in their counseling, or in the training that they they give. Now, when we have the wisdom of God in His Word, why would we impart to believers the wisdom of this age? The wisdom of this age is doomed to pass away along with the rulers of this age. The Apostle Paul states emphatically that he does not impart the wisdom of this age. Why would we do that? Well, That's not the wisdom that is to be imparted. What wisdom is to be imparted? Look at verse 7. Paul tells us the wisdom he imparts. He says in verse 7, But we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages for our glory. This verse teaches four truths about the wisdom that is to be imparted. First of all, notice in verse 7 that the wisdom that is to be imparted is of God. But we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God. That this wisdom is of God means that it originates in God. And that it is revealed by God. Now, what wisdom revealed by God does Paul have in mind? That that Paul has been imparting to the Corinthians. Paul has in mind God's all-wise acts in the salvation of man. Paul has in mind God's all-wise plan of salvation, the heart of which is the cross of Christ. This is the wisdom of which Paul has been speaking ever since chapter 1, verse 17. I want you to go back to chapter 1, verse 17 uh, to, to notice the message that Paul has been imparting. Look at verse, chapter 1, verse 17. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel. Paul has been imparting the gospel, literally the good news. And not with words of eloquent wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. 
For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Paul has been proclaiming the cross of Christ. He's been proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ, which centers upon the work of atonement that Christ accomplished at the cross. This is the wisdom of God that Paul has been proclaiming, the word of the cross. Go down in chapter 1 to verse 23 to see more about this wisdom that he has been imparting. He says in chapter 1, verse 23, But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles, but to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. So he's saying the same thing. We preach Christ crucified. Crucified. And he calls it in verse 24 the very wisdom of God. Those who are called by God's grace rightly recognize the message of Christ to be the wisdom of God. The world sees that message as folly, but those who are being called by God's grace, they recognize it for what it is the very wisdom of God. The wisdom of God is God's work of salvation through a crucified Messiah. This is the wisdom that Paul imparts among the mature, among believers. For the message of the cross is not only for the salvation of unbelievers, but the message of the cross is also for the sanctification of believers. And this will be seen throughout the epistle as Paul will give practical instructions on how we as Christians are to live, he's going to be going back to the cross again and again and again. The cross indicates how we are to live now as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. The the cross of Christ where he gave up his life for us is now to be the chief motivation in our life, for for living a new life for the glory of God. We are to recognize that we've been redeemed with precious blood, that that our our bodies are not our own, but but they belong to our Savior. And we're to live accordingly. So what Paul has been imparting to the mature, what he's been imparting to believers, is the wisdom of God, which we have seen is the message that centers on the cross of Christ. That is the wisdom of God. Of God, God's work of salvation through a crucified Messiah. Not only is the wisdom that Paul imparts of God, secondly, in verse 7, we see that this wisdom is a secret wisdom. A secret wisdom. Notice this in verse 7, but we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God. Now, for that word secret that we have in the ESV, Some other translations use the word mystery. For example, the NIV translates, we declare God's wisdom a mystery that has been hidden. Now this term mystery or secret is an important term in the New Testament. A key passage about this is Romans chapter 16. So please turn with me back just a few pages to Romans chapter 16. Romans 16, I want us to look at verses 25 and 26. Romans 16, verse 25. Now to him who is able to strengthen you, according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery. There is this term that we want to understand. Uh, This word mystery. Same word, secret, uh, that is used in our text. Now to him who is able to strengthen you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery that was kept secret for long ages, but has now been disclosed and through the prophetic writings has been made known to all nations according to the command of the eternal God to bring about the obedience of faith. Now, notice in these two verses what the apostle says about the mystery. He says that the mystery was kept secret for long ages. God kept it secret for long ages. 
But, he says, the mystery has now been revealed in God's word. And he indicates that this mystery that has now been revealed is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And this is what Paul has in mind in our text in 1 Corinthians 1, I'm sorry, 1 Corinthians 2, 7, when he says the wisdom to be imparted is a secret wisdom. Though God foretold it in the Old Testament, he did not clearly reveal it until the coming of Christ and the sending of the Holy Spirit. Before the coming of Christ, no one could discover this wisdom of God using human reason. It was a secret. Corinth exalted human reason. And their philosophers tried to attain knowledge of divine matters through human reason. But as a secret wisdom, God's wisdom cannot be known this way. Similar to this truth, that the wisdom to be imparted is a secret wisdom, is the third truth. The third truth in in verse 7 is that this wisdom is a hidden wisdom. Notice this in chapter 2, verse 7. But we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God. This word hidden means that this wisdom can only be known by divine revelation. It cannot be discovered in any other way. I want you to look back to what Jesus said in Luke chapter 10 about truth being hidden and revealed. Luke chapter 10, verse 21. Luke chapter 10, verse 21, where Jesus speaks about divine truth being hidden and revealed. Look at verse 21. In that same hour, he, that is Jesus Christ, rejoiced in the Holy Spirit and said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows who the Son is except the Father, or who the Father is except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal Him. So notice in verse 21 uh, that Jesus speaks um, of how the Father has hidden spiritual truth from the wise and the understanding, and He has revealed that spiritual truth to little children. And then in verse 22, how He says that no one uh, knows of who the Father is, except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal Him. You cannot find God using your reason. You cannot find God using your powers of observation. God is only truly known by divine revelation. Now keep that in mind as you come back to our text, 1 Corinthians 2.7. Paul says, but we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God. As a hidden wisdom of God, it can only be known by divine revelation, not by human means. Finally, the fourth truth about this wisdom that is to be imparted is that this wisdom is a wisdom that God decreed before the ages for our glory. Notice that in chapter 2, verse 7. But we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages for our glory. That word decreed can also be translated predestined, as it is in the New American Standard. A wisdom that God predestined before the ages for our glory. This word to decree or to predestine means to decide upon beforehand, to predetermine. We see here that God decreed the salvation of His elect before the ages, meaning before the world began. And we see here that God decreed the cross of Christ as the way in which He would save His people from their sins. This message of the cross is a wisdom of God that was decreed before the ages for our glory. Think of those last words. This is for our 
glory. This is what God has predestined us for. He's predestined us for glory. This is what God has secured for us through the cross. He has secured for us glory. Glory is the opposite of the shame that was spoken of in chapter 1, verse 27. Glory is the opposite of the destiny of the rulers that was spoken of in chapter 2, verse 6, when the Apostle Paul said that they are doomed to destruction. The words are glory refer to all the excellence and blessedness that God has in store for His redeemed ones in eternity. We will be forever in the presence of God. We'll be forever in the presence of the one who created us for himself. God created us for himself. He created us for his glory. And we will only be truly satisfied if we know God and we live for his glory. And we, we, we see in the Bible this wonderful truth that God decreed this wisdom, that the gospel, the cross of Christ, he decreed this before the ages for our glory. So that we will be forever in the presence of our God, beholding his glory. He has created us to be in awe of him. He has created us to be all satisfied in him. Only he can satisfy our souls, and in eternity, this glory will include being in the presence of God, seeing his glory. Now Moses asked to see God's glory, and God told him, you cannot see my face lest you die. But in eternity, we will see the glory of God. And this glory includes that we will be conformed to God's glorious character. Right now, we are struggling with remaining sin. We're struggling with indwelling sin, but not in glory. In glory, we will be fully conformed to the holy, righteous character of God as seen in our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Our text says that God predestined or decreed this wisdom, which centers in the cross of Christ, for our glory. The cross which, Christ, which God decreed in eternity past does not just save sinners from hell, it also secures eternal glory for them. And this is part of the reason why Paul imparts the message of the cross to the mature. Because the message of the cross speaks of what God has done to secure our glory. This is the wisdom which Paul openly proclaimed. Wisdom that is of God. Wisdom that is secret. Wisdom that is hidden. Wisdom that was decreed before the ages for our glory. Now notice Paul imparts this. He proclaims this wisdom. It is called a secret wisdom. It is called a hidden wisdom. But it is now being revealed by God. And so Paul is proclaiming this wisdom the centers on the cross of Christ. The truth that this wisdom is not humanly discovered is reinforced in verse 8. Look at verse 8. None of the rulers of this age understood this. For if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. The rulers of this age are considered the elite of this age. And what Paul is saying in verse 8 is that the rulers of this age did not understand the wisdom of God. He says, if they had understood it, they would have recognized Jesus as the Lord of glory, and they would not have crucified him. The rulers of the Jews condemned Jesus for blasphemy. and They demanded that Pilate, the Roman ruler in Judea, have Jesus crucified, which is what he finally did. These rulers, along with The other rulers of this age, though they were very learned and powerful, were ignorant of the wisdom of God. To them, Jesus of Nazareth was little more than a messianic pretender. They were ignorant of God's plan to redeem people of all nations by sending His Son, the Lord of glory, to die for them on the cross and then be raised in victory. Understand that only the Lord of glory could atone for our sins. 
This title, the Lord of Glory, that's used here in verse 8 of Christ, it's a title that speaks of Christ's deity. In Psalm 24, verses 9 through 10, we read, Lift up your heads, O gates, and lift them up, O ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord of hosts. He is the King of glory. Yahweh of hosts. He is the King of glory. This very title for God is ascribed to Jesus of Nazareth here in chapter 2, verse 8. If they had known this wisdom, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. Only the Lord of glory could atone for our sins. As the Lord of glory, Jesus is the Lord of lords. As the Lord of glory, Jesus is the sovereign ruler over all. As the Lord of glory, Jesus is the one to whom all owe the highest allegiance. Only one who is both God and man could die in our place, suffering the penalty for our sins, which is death, and save us from our sins. Only one who is both God and man. At the cross, God was fulfilling his all-wise plan of salvation. As the Lord of glory, the Son of God incarnate, laid down his life upon that cruel cross for sinners. Bearing the, the penalty, bearing our sin and suffering the penalty that we deserve for our sin. Suffering our penalty in our place. That we would be forgiven. That we would be saved that we receive eternal life, and that we would enter into glory. At the cross, God was fulfilling his all-wise plan of salvation. And at the same time, the cross so very clearly showed the world's ignorance of God's wisdom. Those who crucified Jesus did what human wisdom demanded. And their actions show that they knew nothing of the wisdom of God. Now before we move on to the second half of our text, let Paul's first main point sink into your heart and mind. That the wisdom of God is not humanly discovered. No one can reach God through observation. No one can reach God through reason. No one can reach God through human means. No one can figure out the way of salvation. Let that sink into your heart and mind. Now, if the wisdom of God is not humanly discovered, how is it known? And the second half of our text tells us how it is known. In the second half of our text, we see that the wisdom of God is divinely revealed by the Spirit. Look with me at verse 9. But as it is written, What no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him. These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. In verse 9, Paul quotes from Isaiah chapter 64, verse 4, and possibly from one or two other passages. The quotation, as we read it here in Corinthians, speaks of the things that God has prepared for those who love Him. In other words, it speaks of the blessings that God gives in salvation. And the quotation says that no eye has seen these things. No ear has heard these things. That the heart of man has not imagined these things. That the heart of man has not conceived of these things. In other words, man cannot figure them out through observation or reasoning. Paul tells us in verse 10, these things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. This is how the wisdom of God is known. This is how God's all-wise plan of salvation is known. It is known by divine revelation. God has revealed these things to us through the Holy Spirit. Now, there are two parts to this revelation. The first part is God giving us His Word through His Spirit. And the second part is God working in us through His Spirit that we might understand and believe His Word. 
What God kept secret and hidden in Old Testament times, He revealed through Christ and through Christ's apostles by the Holy Spirit. And this revelation is our New Testament. How did God give us the New Testament? The same way He gave us the Old Testament. We read in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 20, No prophecy of Scripture, that is, no giving of Scripture, comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. That's how we received the New Testament. The same way we received the Old Testament. God spoke through men as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit carried along the writers of Scripture so that what they wrote was the very Word of God. The Spirit of God superintended the inspiration of the Scripture, superintended the writing of the Scripture so that what was written is the very Word of God. Of God. So what we hold here is a divine book. This is not man's thoughts about God. This is God's word to man. Given by God through the Holy Spirit. Having given us his word through the Spirit, God then works through the Spirit in our hearts that we might understand and believe his word. In Matthew chapter 16, verse 15. Jesus said to his disciples, But who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. Jesus says to Peter that you understand and believe this truth of who I am, that I am the Christ, the Son of the living God, Because the Father has revealed it to you. God had revealed this truth through Christ's teaching and Christ's signs that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. And then God worked in Peter's heart that he might understand and believe that revelation that had come through the miraculous signs and through the teaching of Jesus. This work of the Holy Spirit is a work of enlightening our minds. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 18, teaches that before being saved, we were darkened in our understanding. You you see, sin did not just affect our actions and our words, but sin affected the, the inner person. It affected our mind. It affected our heart. And so before we were saved, we were darkened in our understanding. Because of the hold of sin upon our our mind, we were not able to to understand spiritual truths. We were not able to understand rightly the truths of God. But the Holy Spirit does a work uh, within the heart to enlighten the mind that we might be able to understand the very word of God. And Paul has all of this in mind in our text In verse 10, when he says, These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. Through the Spirit, God has given us His Word. And through the Spirit, He has given us understanding of the Word. He has brought us to believe the Word, having understood it. The Old Testament prophecies of the New Covenant promised the Holy Spirit. Joel chapter 2, verse 28 And it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Ezekiel 36, 27. And I will put my spirit within you. And Jesus likewise promised the Holy Spirit. In John 14, verse 16. Jesus said, And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. And then chapter 16, verse 12, I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the Spirit of truth comes, He will guide you into all the truth, for He will not speak on His own authority, but whatever He hears, He will speak, and He will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify Me, for He will take what is Mine and declare it to you. 
Paul has that in mind here in our text when he says, these things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. The Spirit whom Jesus called the Spirit of truth. The Holy Spirit, the third person of the triune God. What man cannot discover, God has revealed. A man cannot come to know God on his own, but God has come to man. So knowing the way to God is not a matter of using our intelligence to figure it out, but it's a matter of humbly believing the revelation that God has given as we are aided by the Holy Spirit. Paul goes on in our text in verse 10, Having said these things, God has revealed to us through the Spirit. He says, for the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. Paul is pointing out that the Spirit of God is fully competent to be the one through whom the Father reveals the wisdom that for ages had been hidden in God. The Spirit is fully competent, for He searches everything. That the Spirit searches everything does not mean that the Spirit searches in order to obtain information. Rather, it means the Spirit penetrates all things accurately and thoroughly knowing all things. And the Spirit of God searches your heart and my heart. He's not doing so in order to find out something he doesn't already know. He's penetrating our hearts. His searching our hearts and our minds speaks of him accurately and thoroughly knowing all things. We're told here that the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. The the inmost recesses, as it were, of God's being, perfections and purposes. Just as the title for Christ in verse 8, the Lord of glory, spoke of his deity, So the description here of the Holy Spirit's knowledge speaks of His deity. That He searches everything, even the depths of God. No one who is less than God could ever do this. It's speaking of omniscience. It's describing omniscience to the Holy Spirit, including omniscience of the very depths of God. Of God. This does reflect the deity of the Holy Spirit. Understand that salvation is the work of all three persons of the Trinity. Verse 7 spoke of the Father having decreed the plan of salvation before the, the beginning of history. Verse 8 spoke of the Son being crucified, making atonement for our sins. And now verse 10 speaks of the Spirit revealing the gospel to us that we might receive the blessings of salvation through faith. Paul goes on in verse 11. For who knows a person's thoughts except the spirit of that person which is in him? So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the spirit of God. Paul here in this verse gives an analogy to help us to understand the spirit's perfect knowledge. A human being is composed of a body and a spirit. Our spirit is also called, in the Bible, our soul. Paul asks rhetorically, who knows a person's thoughts except the spirit of that person? Unless I reveal my thoughts to another person, only my spirit knows those thoughts. We we cannot read each other's minds. Paul says, likewise, no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. He's saying that no human being can read the mind of God. However, the Spirit of God has perfect knowledge of God's thoughts, perfect knowledge of God's wisdom, perfect knowledge of God's plan, perfect knowledge of God's purpose. And so certainly, God the Father can reveal His wisdom through His Spirit. To us. Now Paul says all of this to reinforce what he said in verse 10. These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. The things of salvation. The things of God's great acts. To save sinners and bring them to glory. These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. God's wisdom is not humanly discovered. 
but divinely revealed by the Holy Spirit. Well, how should this passage affect us? It should certainly give us a high view of Scripture. Where do we find the revelation God has given through the spirits? We find it in the Scriptures and the Scriptures alone. It is very important that you understand that the Scriptures are not man's thoughts about God, but the Scriptures are God's Word to man. As we read in 2 Timothy 3.16, all Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, reproving, correcting, and training in righteousness that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. All Scripture is breathed out by God. All Scripture is the very word of God. Consequently, to get to know God better, we must turn to the Scriptures. When I was a student at Biola University 25 years ago, one of their Bible conference speakers, John Eldridge, was talking about how he and his wife get to know God better. And he said that one of them, I don't know, remember which one of them, he said one of them gets to know God better by watching movies. Now he wasn't talking about movies that teach the Bible. He was just talking about secular movies. That they'd look for biblical themes like redemption and secular movies. And as they find these biblical themes, they're getting to know God better. How contrary this is to the teaching in our passage. Which, which, which speaks of how, how we cannot know God through human wisdom. That the wisdom of God is only known by God's revelation of that wisdom. Last month, someone who is not part of our church told me that we put too much emphasis on the Bible and not enough emphasis on the relationship that God wants to have with us. What were they doing? They were making a false dichotomy between reading the Bible and having a relationship with God, as if those were opposites. Understand that the only way to have a relationship with God is through hearing and believing God's Word. We can't know Him apart from His Word. And so the only way to have a relationship with Him is through hearing and believing God's Word. It's by hearing and believing the Gospel that we are saved. And if, if, if we're not saved, we certainly cannot know God. or We certainly do not have a relationship. We don't have a relationship until we're saved. How do we enter into a relationship with God? It's hearing the Gospel. Believing the Gospel. Being saved by God's grace. Being reconciled to God through the finished work of Christ. As we receive that, 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 the, the blessing of salvation through faith in Christ, faith in the gospel. There, there is no relationship with God apart from reading God's word. How are we sanctified in the Christian life? Jesus said, prayed, sanctify them in the truth. What is truth? He says, your word is truth. If we're going to be sanctified, if we're going to grow in, in relationship with God, we have to feed upon the Word of God. We have to feed upon the truth. We're sanctified by the truth. Jesus said, man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. This is our spiritual food. We will be famished spiritually if we're not reading the Word of God. So it's a false dichotomy to say we put too much emphasis on the Bible and not enough emphasis on the relationship God wants to have with us. They come together. You have to study the Bible to have a relationship and be growing in relationship with God. If, if this morning you are not a Christian through faith in Christ, then let the passage that we have studied show you the vanity of seeking a right standing with God or a relationship with Him apart from reading and believing the Bible. Let the passage that we have studied this morning move you to seek to understand the gospel of Christ. That wisdom of God that Paul said he was imparting, that he was proclaiming in Corinth. That wisdom of God that is proclaimed in the New Testament. The message of the cross of Christ. 
Let the passage we have studied move you to seek to understand the gospel of Christ as taught in the Bible and to receive it as God's revelation, believing it with your whole heart that you might be saved. The heart of God's revelation is the good news in 1 Corinthians 15, verses 3-5, through that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that He was buried, that He was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures, and that He appeared to witnesses. You will be saved and brought into relationship with God if you believe the good news of Christ. If you stop trusting in your works, if you stop trusting in, 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 in the things that you've been trying to do in order to be good in God's sight, to have a right relationship with Him, if you let go of those things, you forsake your self-righteousness, you forsake your sin, and you turn to Christ and you believe the gospel, you will be saved. You'll be brought into right relationship with God by the grace of God on the basis of Christ's finished work. My friend, repent of your sins. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ today that you might not perish, but that you might have eternal life. Beloved brethren, let me ask you, how do you view the Bible? If the wisdom of this age is doomed to pass away, and and verse 6 indicates it is, and if God's wisdom is not humanly discovered, as the first half of our passage teaches, and if God's wisdom is divinely revealed by the Holy Spirit in the Scriptures, and it is, then how much value should you place on learning the Word of God? Most of us have spent at least 13 years of our life, thinking of kindergarten through 12th grade, focused on learning subjects like reading, writing, math, science, history, literature, etc. Many of us have spent tens of thousands of dollars to study some of these subjects more deeply in college how wise we would be to devote ourselves even more to studying God's Word. Parents, God's Word should be the primary subject that your children study. Now, they do need to study reading and writing and arithmetic and so forth, but not as the primary subjects. The primary subject that your children should study is the Word of God. God's revelation to us. God's wisdom Each of us should be reading the Bible every day. We need to know God's wisdom. He has revealed it to us in a book. We need to know God's wisdom. We need to know what God has revealed to us. So let me ask you, have you read the entire Bible? If you just started reading the Bible recently, I wouldn't expect you to already have read the whole Bible. But if you've been a Christian for two years, three years, Or more? This is what I want to ask you. Have you read the entire Bible? We ought to read the entire Bible pretty early on in our walk with Christ. And then, if you have read the entire Bible, how long has it been since you read the entire Bible? Maybe you read the entire Bible 30 years ago. Well, reading the whole Bible 30 years ago is not going to be sufficient for your your growth now. So I hope that within the last several years, you've read through the Bible again. We don't need to read it exactly Genesis through Revelation. We can read it in various orders, but we should be reading through the whole Bible. This is God's revelation. It's the only way for us to know God. It's the only way for us to know God's wisdom is in the Scriptures. So have you recently read through the whole Bible? And when you read the Bible, do you do so with awareness of its great value and with joy? You know, we should not read the Bible simply because we know we should, and so we just mark it off of our list of things that I need to do. No, when we read the Bible, we need to do so with the conscious awareness that what I am reading is of eternal value, of infinite value. It, has, it, it finds its value in God himself. This is God's word, God's revelation to man. And so we are to read it with that recognition, the joy, to be reading the words of our great God 
and Savior that he has given to us. Our text teaches us the necessity of God's word. There's no way to know God's wisdom. There's no way to know uh, God's great plan of salvation apart from God's word. We have here the necessity of God's word. Now, if we truly believe in the necessity of Scripture, it will be reflected in our lives. I don't know if you've heard of William Tyndall. William Tyndall was a scholar in England. Uh, He was ordained as a Roman Catholic priest, but he came to play a very important role in the Protestant Reformation in England in the early 1500s. Tyndall recognized that not only the common people, but also the Roman Catholic priests knew very little scripture. In a heated debate between Tyndall and a priest, the priest burst out, we are better to be without God's law than the Pope's. And Tyndall replied, I defy the Pope and all his laws. And he added that if God spared his life, before many years he would cause a boy that drives the plow to know more of the scripture than the priest did. In 1523, Tyndall requested permission from the Bishop of London, Cuthbert Tunstall, to translate the Bible into English, and he was denied. Before this point, the Bible had not been translated from the original languages into English. It had only been translated from languages like Latin into English, not from the originals. Tyndall requested permission from the bishop of London to translate the Bible into English, and he was denied. So Tyndall began to do it illegally. Because England was not a safe place to translate the Bible, Tyndall relocated to Germany. By 1526, his English New Testament was printed there, and the Bibles were then smuggled into England in cotton bales and other innocent-looking containers. Tyndall then began publishing parts of the Old Testament in English. Though Tyndall was not in England, his life was still in danger. In 1535, Charles V, Emperor of the Holy Roman Empire, had Tyndall kidnapped, then arrested, and imprisoned. Tyndall was then tried, and he was condemned to death for heresy. On October 6, 1536, he was tied to the stake, strangled, and then burned essentially for standing against the teachings of the Roman Catholic Church and translating the Bible into English. He gave up his life so the Bible would be translated into the language of the people. So the people could read the very word of God translated from the original. He gave up his life for that. He was 42 years old when he was executed. Tyndall understood from Scripture the necessity of God's word. If if he didn't understand the necessity of God's word, he wouldn't have given up his life to have it translated into English. He understood from Scripture the necessity of God's word. This is the only place where we can find God's wisdom. This is the only place where we can know God. He understood the necessity of God's word and it was reflected in both his life and his death. Let me ask you, is the understanding of the necessity of scripture reflected in your life? Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you did not leave us to grope in spiritual darkness, trying to reach out to find the truth. We thank you that you have revealed the gospel of your Son. You have revealed the way of salvation that you decreed before the ages. We thank you that in the New Testament you have revealed what was kept secret and hidden in the Old Testament days. We thank you, Father, that you have brought this gospel to us. 
And we thank you that you've worked by your Spirit to enlighten our minds that we might understand and believe the Word of Christ and be saved. Oh Lord, may you teach us to, to have a high view of the Scriptures. Lord, may you impress deeply upon our hearts the necessity of Scripture for knowing you, for knowing your will, for knowing your wisdom, for knowing your salvation. And we pray, Father, that that would be reflected in our lives as we both read your word and study it and meditate upon it, that we might be sanctified by it. And as we take your word and we proclaim it to lost people, Oh, Lord, we pray that you would, by your Spirit, work in the hearts of many who will hear the gospel from our lips or read the gospel that we hand to them. We pray, Father, that you would call many to yourself, that by your Spirit, Lord, that you would uh, enlighten the minds of the unbelieving, that they might understand and believe the gospel of Christ and be saved and have eternal life. Oh Lord, be glorified in how you use this passage that we have studied in our lives today, tomorrow, this next week, and for the rest of our lives. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.